We haven't caught up in a while. It's nice not to have Alex here. How's your newsletter going? It's your last newsletter was extraordinarily, extraordinarily good. It was so. Oh, good. really? I didn't oh, have. Yeah. I didn't have any idea what I was going to write. Well, you, I think I called you when you were cooking it in the. I was. You know, I was morning. in the lab. Yeah, uh, and then it like came out, lab. and I was like, "This is pretty good." Yeah, in the content lab, I go into the content lab, I get out my Bunsen burners, and get to work. Well, thank you, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Back at you, I'm a big fan, big fan. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, where each week we dissect patterns in media, technology, and culture, ideally to help you connect the dots as you navigate the head-spinning changes that seem to happen most weeks. My name is Brian Morrissey of The Rebooting. This week, I'm joined only by Troy Young, longtime media executive and investor and author of the People vs. Algorithms newsletter. Alex Schleifer, our third partner on this podcast, is currently under suspension after he criticized advertising one too many times. I'm kidding, Alex is on vacation. So without Alex, Troy and I decided to have a freeform media business talk episode. The themes of this conversation will likely be familiar to many listeners, at least they were to me. It's that the old levers in media business are simply not working anymore. Media has never been an easy business, but right now, so many things that were, if not home runs, solid doubles for the businesses aren't working. People are missing numbers and it's against a fairly resilient economy. So when publishers are putting up revenue declines, but ad holding companies are seeing growth, there's a deeper reason than the normal gyrations of the ad market. Some of these challenges feel, if not insurmountable, far more challenging than just a matter of waiting out a bad market and doing better on execution. We consider the divergent paths taken by the New York Times and CNN. The Times has held up as perhaps the biggest success case of a legacy media brand reorienting its business for a new era. It shed non-core assets and doubled down on journalism as a DTC product, soon to be surrounded by adjacent offerings in areas like food, games, and sports. This is a far cry from the financial crisis, when some were questioning whether the New York Times would go bankrupt. And we contrast that with the travails of CNN, which is in the early days of navigating a path of change as the subsidies of the cable bundle expose weaknesses of its model that's been very lucrative for a very long time. And after all, CNN still generates some $750 million a year in cash flow. The tenure of Chris Licht typically gets overcovered. But as Troy points out, what was the better strategy? What lane should Lick and his boss, David Zaslav, have steered the brand as it faces the secular decline of cable news programming? The Licked autopsies will move on from the personnel and political matters to more profound business challenges confronting whoever leads CNN and other legacy media companies as life is about to get much, much more difficult. As always, send in your feedback. My email is brian at therebooting.com. And please leave us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get this podcast. Hope you enjoy the episode. To me, selling something the first time is the hardest part. And then once like people see it, and because we have an amazing group of people who are coming to three days of programming at the Curve Cafe, then it's so much more repeatable. And also people see the thing and they're like, oh, I want one of those. I'm planning on doing the same thing for every tentpole event, just a different version of it. 
because the budgets are already there for it. And for Can, some companies, this is by far their biggest marketing expense of the year. And a lot of right. them are... So the budgets are here, the, the behaviors are there, and they just need an activation partner. And you can be yeah. that partner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The good news is not only are you lean, but it feels to me that you're on the right side of a transformation. I won't even sort of pass judgment on whether it's good or bad, but I was just on a call that made me really wonder what's going on underneath of digital media and where it goes next. Because there is a lot of the stuff that paid the bills that got you to your revenue number, the hundreds and two hundreds and three hundred thousand dollar insertion orders in a larger media system that were your website plus a bunch of other stuff or content creation plus social distribution or even, God forbid, video insertions for players that sit awkwardly on web pages. There's a lot of pressure there right now. People are having a hard time hitting their numbers. Some of it's macro, some of it may be executional. Underneath, and then I just would contrast it with anything that's kind of performance related or affiliate related. It's doing reasonably well. So you look at a company like that and you say, are we waiting for this revenue to come back or is something fundamentally shifted? Hmm. And therefore, we have to change. When you change a digital media company, you, you don't just change your ad product and how you're selling it. It has to cascade through the whole system. Usually ends up meaning that you change what you're making, what your priorities are on different channels, or what kind of content you're creating, the balance between text and video, where you're distributing it, the emphasis you're putting on subscriptions or other types of revenue productive content. So I do think that this is pretty fundamental. And if you're a business like we've talked about Bustle before, or you're a business like Vox or Hearst or Condé, you're feeling good if you're highly diversified and have a reasonable amount of subscription revenue. But inevitably, you're more reliant on these types of activations that you're talking about that you're doing at can at scale, whether it's the biggest of the big, like a Met Ball or Women in Hollywood for L, or just any type of activation combined with a bunch of media tactics. That's what you're going to have to do. And the thing that troubles me about that is that's fine, but it's a really fucking grinding business. <laughs> you want to tell me about this, Troy? True. The new attention economy at the Curve Cafe is a passion. Stop project. it. Stop it. By the way, I should mention to everyone, Alex is not here this week because like, he is on. Are we allowed to say where he's vacationing or is that a... Well, he's I already said it. He's somewhere in Europe. He's in France, Europeans right? are very sensitive about privacy. Okay. Well. I don't want to offend him. He's in the south of France, which to me, I'm a little offended. Alex, if you are listening, I'm a little offended because I too am going to be in the south of France at the Curve Cafe. And we're not meeting up. But I know did, that they're very jealous about their... Did you their sell a volume of mentions? No. Okay. No, it's deep partnership. Deep I try to align with partners long term and I find it very effective because I want them to succeed and hopefully they want me to succeed. Yeah, good on Alex. He's having a break and it's worth just mentioning to any of the newer listeners that Alex was a reticent participant. At first he said, I don't want to say anything. I just well, now he's the limelight. This. He's getting I'm a little worried. Alex, you're listening. I'm a little worried he's getting too sensitive to the people who are like, he hates advertising. Just take, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. People need to hear the truth. I'm going to Cannes and I'm going to not hear the truth for a week. And trust me, the people there need to hear the truth sometimes. Yeah, but so, so what's going on, folks, is that Alex is kind of blustery on the podcast, including saying things like, fuck you, buy my shit, is the universal brand tagline. Was that his, yeah, that was that his was, line? Yeah. But then more reflective, 
in the text thread afterwards, oh, I'll stop, I'll be more accommodating to different points of view and advertising and stuff. The thing is, is he's not, it's coming from a good place. He's not trying to piss anybody off. I think it's a really important voice on this podcast, to be honest, because first of all, he's really, he's really smart and he is deep in the internets is a committed, youthful user of all communication and media platforms. And so I liken his behaviors to a much younger person. But his voice on the advertising front, I think, tells us a story about how hard it is to really make compelling advertising in a demand era where you can access any information you want, where you're in control. And this has been the long, long story in the internet, but we kind of avoided the hard truth by creating. We just kept moving. We kept, we created banners and then we created content marketing and then we created affiliate and then we created programmatic. And you missed we rich just, media. Don't, all, don't offend yeah, I mean, the all legacy of pop-ups of rich. Fat I missed a lot. And I blast Yeah. But along the, the way, lots of lots of people made millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, I know. Because whenever you're they're the ones attached, writing in there, like <laughs> this is the thing. Like, just never overthink it. The enterprising and relentless Harry Cargman created a big business just by sweeping up inventory across major publishers and putting a little hot dog at the bottom of mobile websites. A hot dog, I mean, like a little banner that sticks to the bottom. Yeah, but the hot dog comes out. It's not like a standard banner. Yeah, an animated hot dog. Yeah. Yeah, a nice yeah. one. A couple There's a million in revenue. But I want to get back to what you're, you're talking about, about things not, because I think one of the themes in this podcast is, at least that I've picked up on at least, is that the old levers are not working as well as they should. And so, like you were saying, the question ends up being, okay, are we just not operating this correctly? Is this just a blip? Because the overall economy is not in recession. The advertising economy on the the sort of top line, if you look at the advertising holding company results, is not in recession. Tell that to publishers. Tell them that it's not in recession. What is the old line of a recession? It's not a recession if your neighbor loses his job. It is a recession if you lose your job. Publishers are in a recession right now. And I think the big question ends up being is, speaking broadly, do they need to completely overhaul their models? And can they in some ways? I, I've been interested in this thing this week, if you, we, you'll indulge me around this change. Yeah. I mean, there's the publishers needing to change what they're selling to the marketplace. And it's felt like we never really had product market fit for a long time, to be honest. It felt like Google and Facebook had product market fit and publishers had to buy a lot of lunches. Hmm. And programmatic arguably at least gave you an opportunity to sell your product without having to buy lunch, except that it meant that you were going to get one-tenth of the yield that you would have got if you had bought lunch. So it was a kind of a nasty trade-off. You'd sell all your impressions, but you'd sell them at a far lower cost. One thing that that's just been on, and I don't think I have an answer to what you do do, but I have been thinking about this Chris Licht CNN thing. After the media community and Puck in particular fed on Chris Licht like hungry piranhas, I was left wondering, and everybody kind of stood at the outside and said, well, he was bad at change and he was dabbling with the morning show and he was dabbling with prime time and he didn't understand how to work with talent and he had no master plan for the company. Also, his office was upstairs. He had his office upstairs and then he moved it down. He kept saying that that he was going to be protected and they had a long horizon and all that. Meanwhile, 13 months later, it came to an end. But underneath of it all, what kept bothering me is what would you do? What would I do? How do you change that company? 
How hard is it to change that company? Because the hardest part of the change isn't even here yet. So yeah, ratings are down. In prime time, the number of people that are watching CNN is shockingly small. But I think has about a billion dollar, probably less, eight, eight, maybe eight or nine hundred million dollar operating budget. It's hard to tell exactly what the numbers are with CNN because it lives inside of Warner Discovery's public filings and it's not broken out. But it's a couple billion dollar business and it makes almost a billion dollars in EBITDA, Brian. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. It's immensely profitable, not unlike many other cable companies that had the benefit of dual revenue streams, a bunch of revenue that just came in at the beginning of the year yeah. from all years, 70 days. I mean, it's million. unearned, right? I mean, it's almost, you're sort of coasting. It's like unearned distribution and unearned revenue just like shows up. It doesn't correlate to how many people are watching. It yeah, that's what I mean. It's unearned. You don't have to yeah. go out and fight for every day. And I, the future is you have to go out and fight right. like every day. Right. So let's say that of the $2 billion, somewhere around probably north of a billion of it is ad revenue. Ad revenue is down very significantly because it is dependent on ratings. But the company after the CNN Plus write-off this year is speculated to make $750 million. Otherwise, it would have made closer to a billion. Now, I thought, okay, so your primary distribution mechanism is coming to an end. You have a website. The website doesn't probably make that much money and it's certainly not going to get even close. There isn't a website on the planet other than Facebook and Google that makes that kind of money. You have to replace this other gusher, which came with, obviously, it's a linear television network, a huge brand, a wonderful subscription relationship. Contrast it with another major news brand, the New York Times brand. The New York Times is roughly the same size. It's $2.3 billion. You know, I know this because it's public. It's $2.3 billion in revenue. Just to give you a sense of where that money's coming from, it's fairly diversified. Its print subs are a quarter of it, 25%. Digital subs are 42%. Advertising is another quarter, 23%. And the remaining 10% is sundry items like affiliate, licensing, commercial printing deals, etc. In 22, made $346 million in operating profit, so roughly a third of what CNN made. That was up year over year by around 11% on, like I said, $2.3 billion in revenue. Now, you don't know what CNN is worth as a company because, like I said, it's not an independent financial entity. But if you're looking at the New York Times, you're like, yeah, these guys got a big future. They've created a bunch of new stuff that's driving their 10 million subscribers that are DTC. They own those subscribers. They have obviously an enviable news feed. They have sports. They have cooking. They have games. They have the wire cutter. They have affiliate. It's a business that has pivoted to a new world successfully. It's a news business that moved from being one thing, a paper business, to a digital thing. And they're going to get through it where it's not clear to me that CNN is going to get through it. Yeah. Why is the question? Why do you well, think that is? I think it's a is? couple of things. One of the things that we were talking about, it's like you have to figure out what lane you're going to play in. Do you have the assets and do you have a pathway to be in the DTC lane? Everyone wants to be in the DTC lane. And that's why we had all these random streaming channels that we didn't need because this industry, just everyone goes in one direction. And that is an enviable one. But there's other sort of lanes you can play in. You can harvest the brand, I guess, for its brand equity. We see that happening to a lot of magazine brands that become fronts for affiliate businesses. There is a commerce lane. I don't know, what are the lanes that you would think of? when it, Because there's, there's production lane. There's the harvest lane, which just means that you're going to run it lean, take all the profits out and admit that it's 
becoming probably an empty shell of a brand. There's the investment lane, which is, well, we're going through a profound distribution shift. We are going to invest behind that. We're going to create CNN Plus. We're going to go DTC. We're going to change the nature of our content. We're going to make more lifestyle news content. We're going to make documentary content. We're going to be a primary consumer relationship in this new landscape. Those are two, obviously. And I guess the third is you kind of try to do both and you fuck it up. I don't know. The third is what most people pick, and it usually doesn't work. But (laughs) I think this why question is interesting, Brian. So for example, one of the reasons has got to be CNN has an unrealistic profit expectation to live in a new world. So you have to live through a period where you're going from having 50% margins to having 20% margins. Yeah. Someone is going to be unhappy. But this is the point. I think a critical difference is the New York Times was in hock to Carlos Slim. They had a near-death experience. And when you have near-death experiences, you got to change stuff. There's a reason Bill Clinton is not eating donuts anymore. It's because he nearly died. I think he would still be eating donuts if it was up to him. You know, the guy's now like a total vegan. He weighs, I don't know, 145 pounds. CNN didn't have that. It's easy to coast in a lot of these models. And for all of the travails, like I see it up close sometimes when I deal with the network people. There's so many people in these organizations. They talk about tech being bloated. I mean, the alignment between old distribution and new distribution at a place like the New York Times is better than it is at CNN. So at New York Times, you can write an article, you can do journalism, and you can move it between channels pretty easily. And so it, it feels like you're just doing the same thing in a different distribution paradigm. Your range of offerings, like cooking, you already do lifestyle well. You've already got the crossword. And then they also make, in fairness to that team, make good acquisitions. Like Wirecutter was a good acquisition. Maybe The Athletic turns out to be a good acquisition. And they have a brand that can stand alone to some extent as an authority in liberal media. They are one of one in that category. Mm. Whereas CNN, they got this profit burden. They have a product that's really expensive to manufacture, or at least has a history of being expensive to manufacture. The digital thing is a different kind of product that you have to learn to manufacture that takes different skills because you're moving from video to text. And they've never really had to fight for subscriptions because they just got the money handed to them. It's just a harder company to change. And along that change route, that pathway, you have to support two very different businesses. So you got two news brands in the meat grinder machine of the future where everybody does a little bit of text and a little bit of video and a little bit of commerce and a little bit of gaming. They're the same company. One is going to survive. The other one's not. Or there's going to be profound, nasty, horrible gyrations as it figures out its future. It is interesting, though, just to stick on the New York Times for a minute, because I think it gets a lot of plaudits and, and mostly it deserves them for how it's reoriented its business. But one thing it hasn't really done is capture the future of the internet, which is clearly video. They really don't have a compelling video operation to me. Is it the future of the internet, though? Well, I, it seems to me that video is going to be the overwhelming majority of content right. that is... And a generation will demand it. Reference me sending Alex, our younger generational participant, a link to the New York Times, and he sends me back a response that says, summarize, please. 
<laughs> I know. Not even I, please, I just summarize. Yeah. I just think it's interesting. And if we were to look for like an acquisition, I wonder why the New York Times, I mean, look, the New York Times owned TV stations before and it, it had a really weird, I mean, it owned what is now the guts of Dot Dash Meredith. It had a bunch of different types of asset. It chose to slim down and really focus on its core journalistic expertise, and that clearly paid off. I would think that for it to truly grow to its potential, that it will eventually need to... Video. Um, right. Video. So, Brian, if I was to just get you to respond to this question, just a quick reaction, mm -hmm. I wonder how you would respond. Let's find out. Companies, either traditional media companies or newfangled ones, digital media companies that have invested productively in video, name them. You mean that are not like video native? Well, how about that did some kind of video pivot or video investment or okay. made a commitment to video and where they can now stand back and say, thank Christ, we did this. We're making lots of money. We have a different kind of business now. This is great. Okay. This is totally from the outside. I didn't prepare. For Besides you, Barstool. Like, time. Time Studios. It's a good one. Okay. Kind of. Kind of. Does it make money? And this TP day, I don't know. <laughs> That's the same. I'm saying from the outside. I mean, you don't think Condé Nast had like the video assets of Condé Nast make it a more valuable company now than it was 10 years ago? Well, I mean, admire much of what they've done. I mean, if you were to look at it on a financial basis, you would definitely say no because they lost a huge amount of money in pursuing a video strategy that had no kind of permanent distribution underneath of it, which is always the problem with video. So then you become, yeah, if they had television shows made, yes, they've been producers or executive producers on a number of films, and they've done reasonably well creating decent YouTube channels. I don't think any of those are real replacements for the kind of economic power that existed before when it was a print business. So are you advocating then for the text branch and stay in their lane? I'm not against it. I wish that was the case. I made video investments and was always felt like that that money was going to be part of a learning process and a process to develop things like YouTube channels or our positions on TikTok or wherever, but I was never really counting on it as being profitable. And so you have to be making money somewhere else. Yes, is the answer. And yeah, we, we too had a couple of TV shows and stuff like that, but it was a small amount of money and unreliable. So am I advocating for making other stuff? I don't think that's what I'm saying. I'm saying buying a future where your business is dependent on video is troubling for many publishers. At worst, it looks like someone like Refinery29 that put a bunch of money into video and none of it paid off. I actually think that the one you thought might have been successful at it was Vice except that the dysfunction in the company got the best of them. And even though they did have a profitable television station and a production company and had a reputation for creating good video content, the business is now in bankruptcy. I think it's going to be hard to sort of unwind how much of it was that pivot to video and how much of it was just general poor management and also just a really strange financial structure. Right, yeah. Maybe some of our listeners, the more astute ones, can help me understand that better. The question, I suppose, is what would you do if you were running CNN? What would you do? I think the hard part with the lit stuff, I, and Semaphore had a really interesting chart of, the, I don't know if you saw it in the newsletter last night, it plotted the viewership of different cable news outlets, along with how many press mentions that 
the network executives were in the articles in the last 18 months compared to viewership. And Chris Licht was off the charts with 60,000 article mentions and at the bottom of the chart as far as how many people actually watched CNN. So for some reason, CNN is overcovered, that's to be clear. But I think we've moved on with that story to... Overcovered. I mean, this is the most profound case of media insider schadenfreude I've ever seen. It's nasty. It's nasty. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's got all kinds of backstories. It's got Jeff Zucker and stuff like this. It's fun. Yeah, but there's also, there's something else at play here. And what it is, is the puck formula is going deep on one topic and going after it and getting the inside scoop. And they decided that CNN was the story they kept on giving. They were incredibly well-sourced and they attacked. I mean, is it any different? They made it, they made it a story. Okay. Is it any different than All Things D with Yahoo and Marissa Mayer? Kara Swisher was like in the air ducts or whatever at Yahoo. You couldn't go like a day without hearing about some Yahoo thing. Those days are gone. I guess I don't know if Jim wants that. Does Jim want the <laughs> daily coverage of what Jim Lanzan is doing? Oh I don't. But I think the great irony is the wonderful thing about Yahoo. I don't know why you got me going on Yahoo, but Yahoo is way less dependent on search than most publishers because it's an ecosystem and it has finance and it has sport and it has mail and it has a homepage. And as a result, a small percentage of the traffic that arrives there is search based. And I think that on account of that, unless it's totally hijacked by changing behaviors around AI or something, that business is going to just keep trucking, keep making, and it makes money. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of funny. There's a lot of businesses that they get a lot of focus and attention and then like people just presumed to be quote unquote dead or something like that. And they just, as you said, they keep trucking. And those businesses end up looking a lot better than a lot of the other businesses that maybe get a lot more attention. And mostly just because the structure of the businesses, I mean, Yahoo's structure with having a lot of control over distribution is superior at this point. It's the story that is never emphasized enough, in my opinion, and it's that you can do so much in media. You need content and distribution, but if you don't have one of them, I mean, you always need both, but distribution's the one that absolutely fundamentally will contort you into knots if you don't have. Yeah. So that is the second topic I wanted to talk to you about, which I don't think gets enough of an alarm bell, which is the possibility of the decline, if not death, of evergreen content. Evergreen content is incredibly important to digital publishing operations. Everyone, I don't care what they're they're doing on the front end, they have an SEO chop shop in the back looking to compete to get on page one of those Google search results. And the beauty of evergreen content, correct me if I'm wrong, you pay for it once and then it's you just keep making money off it. And that's magic. I mean, news content sucks. You spend all this money to make it and then just like its value plummets and goes away like in a day. First, I would challenge you on, and you as a member of the publishing community should maybe not say chop shop because that- <laughs> Okay, whatever. Intent-based- Thank you. There's a lot of good people out there making content that a- answer people's questions about how to make the proper- case. And repeating so, the recipe again and again and again. Yes, I get it. I honor well, all labor, you, particularly all content labor as someone who works in the content minds. Honor it, fucker. <laughs> yes. Okay. Secondly, I I'm at say, Variety Coffee doing my bit, so- I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the equivalent of rerun revenue, isn't it? It's like having friends in syndication. It's a terrific revenue source. I remember obsessing about story volume and how fast we were able to get on some cultural vibe or a news item or whatever. And the effect that being fast would have on your traffic 
And then there's the sort of much more deliberate, systematic, strategic work of connecting a really good SEO person, strategic SEO person to content creation against what your brand brief ought to be. Getting that right, getting into position and having that stuff just pay dividends. And it's amazing. One of the things that I've noticed, and actually maybe the reason why you think it's troubling, is I put ChatGPT on my little system tray on my phone, the app. I use it quite a bit. And one of the things that it's absolutely useless, if you try to get current information, it uses its little web browser plugin and it's completely unsatisfying. You can see using it why having tidy, faceted data sets is going to be so important. Because, for example, if I wanted to find out what is New York Times revenue in 2022, how much of it was subscription, how much of it was advertising, all of that, that's the work I want someone to do for me. It sucks at that. But if I wanted to know when was a song by ELO written and what studio was it recorded in and blah, 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 like it, it's killer at that. Yeah, well, it's so good. Penske Media, I'm sure, is currently competing to be on page one of that. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's going to have a lot of impact because, okay, leave aside the chop shop slang. SEO operations are very profitable and they're numerous. <laughs> I like just anytime anything is trendy, I just like to see who is really going for it on the SEO front. Well, this is ties back to our other discussion about this kind of existential moment. And someone said to me yesterday that we are at peak SERP content time, like it's over. Can I take that for my newsletter title? Peak SERP? No, that's not a good one. But go on, sorry. Yeah, so this inflection point is coming and anybody, I don't care what kind of media you're creating, it's like the whole industry. I don't know where it's settled, Brian, to be honest with you. Whether you work in TV or you're dependent on the SERP or you were a subscription publisher, maybe that's the most protected frontier. But the whole media is in a period of more pressure, more change, more kind of uncertainty than I've just that I've ever seen. And it includes advertising. Yeah. That's why it's going to be interesting just to tie it back to the final topic, which is can. Because you're not going to can, but I'll be there all week. You, know, you have to sort of cut through the BS and everything because it's like a PR thing. But I don't know. I feel like you can tell some things about the overall direction of, of the industry. And can is just full of so many contradictions. I mean, it's technically a festival of creativity and stuff, but it, underneath it is really just a lot of like data brokers doing. It's kind of more like deals. a festival of expense accounts. That's like expense accounts. Yeah, I like that. There's more procurement people going there. So now like it's not only they try to like keep procurement, but now the procurement people are going there up close. So I think it's perfect because it's trying to bring the procurement people in to make it more like they're part of it. <laughs> right. I remember one year when I was hanging out with some senior people that had influence at a holding company, the kind of people that all of the publishers, media companies and ad tech people want to hustle. They're the best people to hang out with because the expense accounts flow most freely against their needs. And the Microsoft people had rented a yacht to take him to go see the house that Keith Richards, well, the, the house that the Rolling Stones recorded that album in. What's the album name? Oh my God, it's escaped. You, you don't know these kinds of trivia. No. Anyway, they recorded this album in the south of France. I should know what it is. And you could probably look it up while I'm talking. 
And he's like, I want to make a pilgrimage. Let's go there. The Microsoft guys are going to get us a yacht. There'll be lunch and rosé and all that stuff. And Villefranche sur Mer. That's the name of the house. Yeah. And Norco. the album is called, what's the album called? Norco. No, Norco. What's it called? Norco. That's the name of what? Oh, that's actually the name of the, the house. Yeah. And what album was recorded there, Brian? Mm, Rolling Stones. They lived there in 1971, ran into legal problems. Yeah, there was. Oh, no. Of, Keith uh, Richards was trafficking cannabis. Well. Exile on Main Street. That's it, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exile on Main Street was recorded. The guy I was with was like, I can't go. I got a meeting. You go. They need someone's name to put on the expense account. So there was like, you know. Oh, like, that should be I, my role there. What am I doing? Actually, I'm very There's like four of us on the boat, and I was absolutely of no economic value. I mean, I was charming mm-hmm. and it was fun. It was then that I concluded that media is a business of obviously extreme marginal revenue over marginal cost, and crazy decisions get made as a result. Like, going to Saint-Tropez on a helicopter and having literally celery and carrots for like $300 a head. Yeah. Have you done that trip? No, I don't do any of that stuff. So there's like a canned pecking order that I think people should know. The funniest thing that I find is that the CMOs are celebrities at camp. And so they're at the top. Agency holding, okay, fine. They're below CMOs. CMOs are the celebrities at camp. And mm-hmm. they fly private. Especially the, the big ones, like if you're like Samsung or Google or someone like that. There's just like Unilever. Influencer networks are flying marketing people out on private jets and stuff. It's like the amount of spending is on some level kind of unconscionable. And I think it's particularly awkward. Whenever the economy is somewhat sideways, it gets super awkward. Because jobs are getting cut at home. Anything that takes place in the south of France is over the top and like luxurious, like beyond belief to some degree. So there is a disconnect of Except for the industry. Airbnbs, they're disgusting. What's that? The Airbnbs. I hope mine just, isn't. Don't hold your breath. I'm staying in an unfashionable part of town, so maybe that will help. Well, I got to make up to the margin on this French taxi service that's charging me 2500 bucks to take 20 people 10 kilometers and back. So it's coming out of my living expenses. What was I saying? But there's a pecking order that goes on. It's the true media pecking order, really. It's because where, it's where the money starts. At the absolute bottom is unfortunately where I am. <laughs> Just the service providers. But that's okay. No, but do you think that, are you really at the bottom? I don't think you're at the bottom. I think I am. No, I, you like to play this little game. You like to play this game. Honestly, I've become. No, here's why you're not at the bottom. I'm happy to be included. You're not at the bottom because you have some influence. And people like you also. Oh, that's true. And because you have this media brand and sometimes you get the opportunity to find the conversation. And so as a result, you're like at the bottom is an ad tech seller and there's lots of them. Okay. They sit below you. Oh, that's true. I mean, I'm not saying that's my ad tech seller friends. I guess what I mean in that is, and I appreciate you saying that because I think one of the oddities of Ken I've always thought is that a lot of the brands we think of with a lot of cultural cachet in media are missing from there. And if they are there, they're, they're there as service providers. Like Vogue's presence in Cannes is as a content marketing provider to Snap, right? And that's the reality of this, of the industry. The data brokers have yachts. Vogue is a content agency. Right. And so they need to plug into someone who's going to make a material commitment in spend like Snap. Yeah. And they will plug into their fancy. Their yeah, they pop-up. do. They do like an art museum and all this. And yeah. it's great. I love it. And there's so much like contradictory stuff. OpenAI is going to have some kind of art gallery thing there. And it's like, okay, well. 
you're also threatening a lot of creative. The advances are literally viewed as an existential. As our friend Jonathan Nelson said, this is the festival where we, what, what's the line? We put down our arms. Yeah, we put down our arms for a week and pretend that we're not trying to kill each other the rest of the year. I enjoy the week. It's good to see people and all that kind of thing. I'm very excited for the events we're doing with my friends at Curve, the Curve Cafe. <laughs> Stop it. You know what? After all of these mentions, and I think this is maybe a flaw with your ad product, I don't even know what that company does. Curve, I already explained it to you. They, they what have, does it do? Well, they have AI, and so they can identify <laughs> objects. Within. Oh, they have AI. They're the ones they with do. AI. They can identify objects within videos and match them up basically to databases. And so they turn that on. Remember when people were talking about hotspotting? Okay, stuff? okay, okay. That's enough. They're able to basically create shoppable video that actually works. And now they're doing it with an attention product. They can tell when people's attention falls off during a video, say like during an ad. And so then you can okay, Brian, Brian, go and recut the ad. Stop it. You asked. I'm telling you. I got to tell you, that was a terrific organic mention that you made me do at the beginning of this podcast. I'm excited for it. Also, I'm going to be doing a podcast with our friend Neil Vogel. What should I ask Neil? How he's going to deal with this stuff? Neil's a great guy. Neil knows how to spin a tail because he was an investment banker for a long time. He, <laughs> Are you just called him full of shit? <laughs> I think he thought this journey would be easier than it is. The journey uh, and, of the taking on the Meredith properties? Yes, yeah. Wow. And remember, too. and Meredith had just taken over time. So there's a lot of change to get everybody aligned with the dot dash mission. And so I would ask, Neil, what have you encountered that you didn't think you would encounter? What are the things that are slowing you down? What do you wish you knew before you signed the check? What are the best things about the acquisition and what are the worst? What would you, if you could magically change any part of it with a wand, what would you change? Oh, he's going to say move faster. Well, let's not. Hi, maybe send him those fast. questions. Yeah. Who else are you interviewing? You want some more questions? Yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome. Kirk McDonald, the Group yeah, North Kirk. America CEO. Yeah, there's lots for him. Talk about ad spending. Responsible media, that's their thing. I'm doing one with, who else? Christine Cook, Global CRO from, at Bloomberg. Do you know her? I don't know her well. I know who she is. That'll be fun. From your old shop, Lisa Howard. Because she's now oh, she came yeah. from the Times over to Hearst. Hearst, yeah. Do you know the group Black People? Richelieu Das and Bon and Bao. You're doing them too? Yeah, they're coming. Gotta, we've got a we've got a really wow, good Wow. Can I sponsor it? No, because it's like Curve is sold out. Oh, it's a sole sponsor. You don't have any subordinate sponsors? No. Hmm. Maybe next year. Okay. So what are you most looking forward to it, Ken? I mean, is it too selfish for me to say that I'm looking forward to the new attention economy at the Curve Cafe? Stop it. No, seriously, Brian, let's No, I'm serious. I'm serious. No, it's very important no, like, for me okay, why don't you in, ask, in this business. So I've been many, many times. And Am I, I supposed to pretend that, that I'm not trying to build a business? What about eating an omelet and reading a newspaper? What about Honestly. an early morning swim? What about getting drunk after it's all over with people that you like hanging out with? What about oh, smoking stuff. cigarettes? Yeah, I'm just not anything. Cigarettes. I'm too old for that. I'm looking forward to going I, on Thursday. So I have three days of a lot of work that I really have to do, and it's really important. And then I have the thing to do with Neil too. I'm not saying that's not important, but it's less. 
It's less stressful. Did you make any swag? Any baby clothes? No, I didn't make. So anyway, I'm looking forward to Thursday evening that when it is fully finished, I will have finished three days of programming at the Curve Cafe. I will do the For cocktail party on Monday. Really? The leader's dinner at La Bastille Saint Antoine up in Grasse. The cocktail conversation you're, at the You're Dot taking Dash advantage of, of our audience right now. At the you Dot Dash Villa, Meredith Villa. And so I'm looking forward on Thursday when all of that is over and I just have one more news letter, as you would say, fart out in the morning. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going to dinner. We made a reservation for 10. We're just going to pick up people along the way and just see like Thursday evening at this place, Duplex, which is totally on the other end of Cannes from the Palais near that bay, you know, as you go out towards and on to you. I love it. It's like the surf shack. It's very not the Quasset and the sun will be going down. You can sit outside. They've got a, it's a duplex. You can sit up top and it's like very chill and the people who run it are really cool i'm looking forward to that that sounds good and then I'm what after that are you going on vacation i'm gonna stay around until thursday not sure where though i kind of like back to new york. you know back to new york for july 4th weekend i'm not gonna like rush back i still have to work but whatever that's the solar life there's no weeks off you know i've taken a week off since christmas yeah i was worried about you a couple of weeks ago actually early in the year i was very worried about you since Christmas. That's a long time. No, do you remember that one time when you and Alex and I got on a prep call and you got nonlinear intense with us about how I think you were thinking we were wasting your time or taking advantage of you? And you were like, I got to make money. Well, I do have to make money. I do. I don't, I don't regret that. What? No, I do. I'm not too rich, guys. I was paying the production costs. No way. <laughs> oh, that's when I'm rich, I will happily take them. Okay. They want to be you need to sell a sponsorship to this and get pay Alex back for the, his production investment. I know. I know. I have that as part of the- I actually think at this point, this Curve Cafe thing, we should take a portion of that revenue because you've mentioned it so many times. Do you know how many people have taken a portion of the revenue? Jacques Chibois. How about 10%? I shouldn't, I, I, if Jacques Chibois is listening, please, I want the guy to make like an amazing dinner. Still, he's, mono, he's in full monetization mode. I will tell you that much. That guy got his Michelin star and he's like, all right, time to make this thing work. That's the way to do oh, it. Now you're making me feel kind of jealous. I'm sure the air will be warm. You should have an omelet. The omelets are good in Cannes. The omelets? I like a simple okay. omelet. Yeah, I like omelets in Japan. They're my favorite omelets. They make them mm. with chopsticks and they're just like perfect little French omelets, but done in a very Japanese way. Favorite omelets in the world. Mm -hmm. I miss Alex. I missed Alex. All right, do you have a good product? I don't have one today. I think we're going to skip that segment. What are you? Is it because I gave you shit about you saying like a grape is a good product? <laughs> grape is a great product. A lemon <laughs> is a great product. No, I just, you know what? In all of the commotion, I don't think I thought of one. Okay, well, my canned good product is linen. Linen is a good product. I lived in Miami for a couple of years, and linen is a friend. And I think with, with linen shorts change, and a, and shirt, or just a shirt, just as an overall breathable fabric. Fabric. My brother was living for years in Southeast Asia, and people have entirely different wardrobes in these kind of places that are incredibly hot and humid. That's going to be our future. So we're going to have to like really all retool, get into the linen. We all experienced up close in New York what climate change is going to be bringing to us. And I don't think it's going to stop any soon. So linen is my good product. The only knock on linen, of course, is that you have to be careful that it doesn't get too wrinkled in transport. 
Will you take the linen out of the suitcase and press it so that it looks tight and crisp? I mean, if there's uh, iron at the Airbnb, I will. But if not, you go to war with the army you got. I mean, you go to war with the linen shirt <laughs> you got. I don't know. <laughs> I hope I won't get removed from the curved cafe if I have a crease. Is there a brand of linen provider that you... Uh, no, like I, linen is linen. I think that's the good thing. It's a great equalizer. It's easy to get just like a nice linen shirt overly expensive you know what uh, i'm gonna go to an event tonight i'm gonna wear linen isn't it too early is it i have a linen suit it's a little rumpled nah you know those rules don't matter anyway you should wear whatever you want yeah that's what i'm gonna do yeah good brand what a great good product submission all right well we miss alex are we doing this next week or are we skipping a week i don't know we got to send him a text i actually like that he wasn't here it was refreshing Why are you saying It was that? Nice. nice. Well, just to be able to talk to you and we got a chance to catch up. I think it was good. I think Alex will listen. <laughs> yeah. we can, tell, can we tell Rich that we suspended Alex for a week? Yeah, Rich, we, Alex. Rich, we suspended here. Alex for a week. We decided that he had offended <laughs> the digital advertising ecosystem too much.